The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Come and jump in, smash that like, smash that subscribe, join the conversation. Uh, We are loving uh, the feedback that we get from you that are watching live. And even if you're not, that's okay, because uh, this is a mailbag episode where we are going to get questions from the big old bag of mail. They have been coming from you. You leave us a five-star review. You put the question in there. We will tackle it in a future mailbag episode. Uh, Before we get to those mailbag questions, of which they include some more questions, obviously, about conference realignment, uh, some of the things that we can or should expect about the recruiting trail and the impact of conference realignment. But before we get to that, we're going to stay on the topic of recruiting because as we teased on Wednesday's episode, the new edition them hot blue chip ratios have been dropped uh bud elliott proprietary owner of the blue chip ratio he created it uh several but a decade ago almost at this point yeah, i think it was 20 2010 so more than a decade ago and now uh, he brings it over to 24 7 sports he brings it here to the cover three podcast uh for those who have not gotten a chance to see it we will go through some of the teams that are on the blue chip ratio uh the 15 teams that have the qualities necessary from a talent acquisition perspective to win a national championship. I don't want to step too much on this, bud. So if, if you just want to start with the, the primer for the listeners and the viewers who have not been a uh, hip to the blue chip ratio, then we will get into some more specifics on this year's uh, blue chip ratio group. Sure guys. So uh, this is kind of one of the things that survives the blogosphere from you know a decade ago. Like we don't have the blog poll anymore. There's a lot of stuff we don't really have anymore this thing is just something i keep around because people click on it every year and it's it's just relatively simple which i think is kind of the the beauty of it if, if you want to say uh so i set out in 2010 to determine what, what is like the minimum level of recruiting that you need to win a national title it's not going to guarantee you win a national title to to go back to sat terms this is sort of a necessary but not sufficient condition so this is the b- absolute bare minimum that you need to have done on the recruiting trail over the last four years to win a national title. And the bare minimum level is more four and five stars than two and three stars over a four-year period. And it actually, it works out pretty cleanly for the most part. I mean, it is perfect since I've been doing it, which is great. Mariota almost busted me. Uh, Clemson with Deshaun the first time when, when Nick Saban onside kicked, they almost, almost clipped me. Uh, but so far, it's still perfect. And uh, this year, we have 15 teams on there. So uh, Alabama, 89%. Ohio State, 80%. Georgia, 77 I'm not going to read all the percentages off, but uh, Oklahoma, A&M, Texas, LSU, Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida, Oregon, Michigan, Penn State, Miami, and Auburn all in order. Uh, USC falling off this year because they had to recruit with Clay Helton as a lame duck for like a three-year period, and that is really hurting uh, their overall score. When you uh, started to get into this, I feel like some of the national champions a couple years ago 
were checking in in around the 70%. You know, they were checking in around 71. They were checking around 77. You mentioned those Clemson teams. They were definitely on the lower end of the recent national champions. I see 89% for Alabama, and I start to really put that into consideration. And I'm like, you know, punters are not often right. four stars and five stars. Specialists are not often four stars and five stars. Does that mean that Alabama with this roster in 2020, oh, obviously transfers to factor into that a little Long bit. Long snappers once in a while. Like, Does that mean that every single player that Alabama has recruited over the last four-year cycle who is a meaningful offensive or defensive position a football player? player. A real a football, football player. player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That means all of them are blue chips, right? I mean, this, we're talking about a roster full of blue chips. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at probably about six or seven out of 100 non, non-special non teams players that Bama signed in four years uh, who are not four or five stars. And, and the results kind of back this up, by the way. Like, they seem to do a pretty good job. Uh, and I will note, so I am still monitoring how transfers should be factored into the blue chip ratio. This is the first year that we've had full transfer ratings and we've invested like crazy in it. We have guys who you know run personnel offices before or you know worked in them. Uh, they pour over film. I, I like that our transfer ratings at 24-7 sports are consistent in terms of the ratio of four and five stars to two and three. So we don't have you know crazy inflation or deflation relative to what we have uh, on the recruiting side. And that's important to me because those things are fairly predictive in the aggregate. Uh, but what I don't know yet is what is the proper weighting to give transfers. And I'll give you an example. So I did go ahead and throw in transfers as a test model. And every team but one went down slightly, which is interesting because most of them are adding transfers for depth. Now, Alabama actually went up uh, 0.8 percentage points. So they're actually at 90 uh, from like 89.3 uh, if you want to include the transfers in it. But it just intuitively – I don't know that a one-to-one weighting is appropriate for this, and so I'm, I'm holding off of putting it in there, obviously because it's a backfit model, but also mm-hmm. like USC had the number one recruiting class on the transfer side this year. If you put them in, they go down because they had seven blue chips and 13 non-blue chips in transfer. Do we really think that makes their roster worse? So I'm trying to figure out a way to, to you know account for this uh, within the blue chip ratio. But I will say the main takeaway is that for the most part, national championships are still being won by the teams that recruit high school players the best and develop them the best also within their own system. And, and to Chip's point, I, I think it's a really good one. You know, are we only seeing the very, very best teams win now? I'm not ready to fully go there yet. Like LSU was only, I think, 62% when they won with Joe Burrow. I don't have my my article in front of me right now, but I, you know, they were not one of the you know, 80 percenters uh, when they had Burrow, obviously Clemson a couple of times, uh, Florida State you know, in, in the last 10 years. But I will say if you recruit at the really, really high level, it does kind of give you the margin for error. You could play like a walk on at quarterback, perhaps, if you, you know, recruit in the 80s as as Georgia did. Um, uh, I, four star heart. Four star heart. Now, we did see this year for the Why first time five teams at 70 percent plus. And that's never happened. <laughs> so, um, Clemson for 16 was 52. Clemson for 18 was 61. And that LSU team you just mentioned was at 64. They also had Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, and Deshaun Watson. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you can win with Stetson Bennett, but you also need to be up here in this like 75 to 80 range. If you're anywhere, you know, down in the 60s, then you need to have a first round NFL draft pick potentially generational talent quarterback if you're going to be able to make it up in the modern game. I don't know what sticks out to y'all about this group. I uh, I think one thing like Bud kind of explained it already, but like, you know, Auburn's in it and it doesn't mean like you see, like when I posted it yesterday, I was giving Bud crap online about it. I was like, Bud says that Auburn can win the national title in 2022 and it can, but it's just like, I feel like the blue chip ratio to some fans, the better understanding of it is that it's kind of like an IQ Like having a high IQ doesn't mean a person is smart. It just means they have the ability to learn. Having a blue chip ratio of over 50% doesn't mean you're going to win the national title. There's a whole lot of other factors at play, but it means you at least have the foundation to. Doesn't it tell, shouldn't it tell you something about your coach too? Like if you don't do well with this type of talent, that it it should be a cause for concern. You know, in a game that we consider, I, I've always, it's talent acquisition. That's what the game is about. If you've got the talent and you can't win with it, that to me is a massive red flag. So I think you could also use it for that. And some of these teams that have underperformed. 
I, I think that's definitely true. And Clay Helton would, would be the example there, right? Like I obviously they they were consistently up very high in the list for a long, long time and didn't end up winning you know, winning the national title or or really even uh, coming close to it. I, I also think there's a bit of a uh like what type of program you're at dictates what you have to do on the recruiting trail. You know, if you are not like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, you st- but you're at one of these other schools, you may still need to try to win a national title. And you may have to take more chances on kids who are maybe very high upside, but also low floor, or perhaps have some character concerns or, or whatever. Like, I'm not really sure some of their blue chips are quite as sure things that they're getting as maybe the very, like the top three schools that we are seeing uh, separate from the pack a, a little bit. Although more teams are certainly joining, and I think NIL is allowing other teams to get in the conversation, right? I mean, a- A&M is, is, uh, is rising up the ranks, Miami is, but Denny, in general, I think like if you sustained underachieving when you have a very high blue chip ratio is is a cause for concern. I would say it. I found it funny. Actually, uh, first, we'll uh, before we start to get to some of the team by teams. Uh, I want to take this question from Brandon Smith in the chat. He says, "How does this help with playoff teams? Uh, does the blue chip ratio do anything to help dictate who makes the college football playoff?" So I will say I I didn't design it to be a predictor of who makes the playoff uh really just who can win like you can absolutely get in the playoff and yet not really have a chance to win it see also i don't like we were very split last year on whether we thought cincinnati could make the playoff but no but nobody really thought they could actually win the thing once they got to the dance it, it's really not it's turned out to be a great indicator of who can make it but i don't love promoting it as that because that's not really what i designed it for and it's definitely not not perfect uh for that. And I'm not saying it's perfect for the Natty. I think it will probably get busted at some point, but so far, you know, in, in the years we can actually measure recruiting rankings decently. It's been perfect. Illinois is going to break that schedule has a whole lot to do with this. You know what I mean? Like making the, making the college football playoff with a college football playoff selection committee is going to be so determined by the number in your loss column. And the number in your loss column is going to be bigger. If you have a tougher schedule, even if you have a more talented roster. Correct. Like Wisconsin probably has a better chance year in, year out than, of making the playoff than Penn State because they play in the West. Mm-hmm. They have a much easier schedule. They just need to win a one-off. Penn State plays in the East. But in terms of like the ability to build, to build an actual championship roster, yeah, for now, um, you know, Penn State has the edge. Um, also, in, in the article on 24-7 Sports, I think that you mentioned it four times do not use the blue chip ratio to bet on games. This is not Hi, pit fans. <laughs> Do not use the blue chip ratio to bet on games. I love that you had to drive it home because there's there's a nice Q and A section uh, below the the actual list itself. So I, I want to highlight a few teams here and ask sort of from being so in into the recruiting process. Just uh, it might come to mind. Florida is on this list. They're at sixty percent. One of the big criticisms of the Dan Mullen era was recruiting. Was the Dan Mullen era, did that regime, did they recruit well enough in your eyes? They, it just wasn't necessarily uh, enough for the fan base's liking. Was it particular recruiting battles that ended up driving that narrative? I mean, do you think the narrative was correct? Because in my eyes, listening to some Florida fans and, and sort of the way the conversation was around Dan Mullen, it, it was almost as if this was a, a total drop off in you know where the Gators were recruiting. Sure, if you compare them to Alabama and Georgia, that might be true. But you know, according to the blue chip ratio, they at least have the bare minimum amount of talent to be able to go out there and compete for national championships. So it's an interesting question. I think that you make a really good point there with Bama, Georgia, but they are also facing uh, you know A and M coming into the state of Florida and taking guys. Uh, they're also facing LSU, who's above them uh, every single year. And Florida's recruiting under Dan Mullen was not trending in the right direction. So, like, they were not going to be on the upswing. They would probably continue to go, you know, go down probably in, into the, the high 50s, which is, you know, tough to, when you're consistently having to battle Georgia uh, for the East. And I also think Dan Mullen was recruiting against a ghost of coaches past. So, Spurrier, when he was engaged, had a good recruiting staff. Uh, maybe, like, he had a reputation for not always being super engaged as a recruiter, but when he, when he wanted to, uh, in, in the mid-90s, they did a really nice job of recruiting. Ron Zook showed you can get number one overall classes to Florida, and then obviously Urban Meyer. So they look at it and they say, uh, this is 
like we're fighting to be in the top 10. That's not really where we want to be at UF. Let's go just outside of the teams that made that 50% threshold of having more four and five stars than two and three stars signed over a four-year window. Since you do this every year, you get to see the teams that are trending up and down. Who are some of those teams that are just outside the threshold that uh, stood out to you? Yeah, so USC is the one who dropped off. I, I would fully expect USC to be back next year uh, on, on this list. They just they have so much Clay Helton uh, from eighteen nineteen, right? Uh, or excuse me, uh, from you know nineteen twenty factoring into this because the last four classes are nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two. Uh, so USC is is no doubt going to be back. I think Tennessee has a shot uh, to make it, and then North Carolina actually, given the strength of their uh, last three classes. That fourth class ago is not too strong. That'll drop off. If they can have a decent year on the field, I see Danny with the UNC uh, helmet today. Um, if they can have a decent year on the field, uh, they really could also potentially join the list, and they would be one of those teams that I would identify as probably needing an elite quarterback to get it done because they would be at the very bottom. The blue chip ratio again, go check it out at 24-7 Sports. It's fit the 15 teams that have the – bare minimum amount of talent to be able to compete for and win a national championship. Uh, go and check it out. But all of Bud's hard work and more of his explanations are there. All right, let's dive into the big old bag of mail. This first question comes from Corey. Uh, absolutely love the pod. You guys make the commute to and from work actually enjoyable instead of dreadful. My question relates to conference realignment and how it is going to affect recruiting. Do you think schools like Ohio State, Penn State and Michigan State will have a harder time getting blue chip recruits due to USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, or do you think it has no effect on it? I think it's going to impact the West Coast schools. Yeah. I I think it's probably harder for UCLA when you've got a big dog like Ohio State. Um, and I don't know if Penn State's going to be able to do the total cross-country move. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I mean – like Ohio State's been raiding California for quarterbacks for a while. A lot of schools from across the country have been raiding California for quarterbacks. I don't know if that's going to change. I think that U USC will probably still be fine. I think UCLA will be fine. I think the bigger impact would be on the other Pac-12 teams. If if you can't if you lose that market area, I think they're going to have a bigger impact. Like I don't think USC and UCLA are going to suffer for any Big Ten team getting a firmer holding in the state because of this, as much as the other schools that were in the Pac-12 will suffer a bit because they'll still want to be playing either for USC or against USC. That's my read of it anyway. But I don't think like Illinois, Iowa, and all those schools are suddenly going to be able to be like, all right, we're going to make we're going to put fences up around California and we're going to turn this into our state. I don't think that's the case. I still think it's going to be the big dogs doing it. I don't know if it's going to be a huge difference. Um, the two uh, the two Los Angeles schools will have a lot more money as far as budget to operate with, and that will certainly uh, help them. It might help those two schools fend off some of the SEC schools that have come west and tried to raid them with, with the narrative that USC and UCLA don't play, uh, you know, big boy football. Um, but you know, that, like that's they still have to go out there and, and have some success. You have the to SEC they, will still claim that they're not playing big boy football. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, and I, I look, Ohio State was already going west and, and doing a great job. Where, where is CJ Stroud, you know, Stroud from? Rancho Cucamonga. Mm -hmm. where, where, where is Chris Olave from? Also from California. They've done a nice job going out there. It might open up California a little bit more to, you know, what Chip said. I think maybe some of the second tier Big Ten schools can pluck another player or two. Uh, away from California. Do you think it hurts USC and UCLA at all from a top to bottom standpoint from families that want to see their kids play? You know, like that don't want to have to fly or can't afford to fly across the country? Or do you think NIL just kind of makes that obsolete because they can, you know, the kid can pay for their parents to fly? Well, I think you're going to find a way to get the parents flying. Yeah. The athletic director said it's not a big deal, Danny. It's, no. <laughs> <laughs> travel's not going to be a problem for anybody. Yeah. Do you guys think that they're actually going to play all those Olympic sports in the Big Ten long no. term? No, I don't, I don't think so either. I think I think once football breaks it's off, Olympic business. sports are just going to become a very own separate entity from everything, kind of like they already are, but they'll be completely separated. Will everyone yeah. be ind independent? Are we forming new conferences? No, I think that you'll have conferences still for Olympic sports and I would like not the exact conferences we have now, but I think more regionally based for sure. 
I and we already it. saw Notre Dame dip into different conferences. You know, what are they? Don't yeah. they play hockey in the Big Ten? They play all the other sports. Yeah, like Arizona State plays hockey in the Big Ten. But yeah. like, like if you look, like BYU has been playing like Olympic sports in conferences. It's just it's there's different ways to do it. I, I think that we've been heading that way for a while, and that's probably going to be the end point for it. Which is also bad, not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think it's a terrible thing. I mean. As long as the sports are still being, I, I think the terrible thing would be losing the sports altogether. Right. Like, that, you think that's my club. biggest concern. Yeah. Because like, yeah. that's an opportunity for a lot of kids to go to school that they might not have otherwise. So if you take away those avenues, then it becomes something a problem to me. Good point. All right. This next question comes from Cunningham. Bubba? Uh, hello guys. <laughs> Insert superlative about the show and the individual hosts. My question is this. With the Big Ten and the SEC expanding, everyone says that UNC is a program that is attractive. I wonder, why is UNC so attractive? I understand the attraction with basketball, but football? From a football standpoint, isn't Virginia Tech more attractive? And as an NC State fan, okay, not Bubba, uh, where do you see the Wolfpack <laughs> landing when this whole thing shakes out? I, I think that North Carolina is a perfect school because it kind of meets – all the requirements of what realignment has been to this point. Like the first round of realignment was we need new markets. Well, the state of North Carolina would be a new market to both the big 10 and the sec. It doesn't have a school in either one. Uh, it's got a growing population center. It's like, you know, people are moving there. The, the population of the state is increasing. It's got a lot of people there. So it's going to be plenty of eyeballs for television. It's a recognizable brand in that the basketball program certainly gives it that cachet, but still North Carolina, it's a good academic school for the real classes and not the fake ones. And then it's got a recognizable brand. It's got, you know, the whole Jordan brand stuff behind. It's just, it's an attractive program for conferences for a lot of different reasons. So uh, let's reference a tweet here from Cole Kublik uh, two weeks ago, July 1st. I'm told the Big Ten just went from $0.10 cents per cable subscriber in the Los Angeles market to potentially $1.50 per subscriber in the LA market per month with the addition of USC and UCLA. So a little known thing here is with these conference networks, if you have a program in that state, you get a lot more money mm -hmm. per cable box than if you don't. This is why you wanted to add Rutgers, because technically Rutgers gets you the New York market, which... Even if nobody in in New York watches Rutgers, which is a pretty fair assumption, sorry, Lance, uh, you know you get a lot more money. Maryland got you part of that DC market. There is no SEC school or Big Ten school in North Carolina. North Carolina is exploding in population. I'm sure Chip Zillow can tell you, um, man. Like it. That's why. That's like the number one reason why you would want that. They're also they're just a better known brand than, than NC State is. It, it's not all about success on the field. Right as mm -hmm. hell as Rutgers can show you, as as UCLA can show you. UCLA hasn't really been good at many things for quite a while, and they're still a very recognizable brand. It's one of the reasons you'd want them, as well as USC probably needs a dance partner out there. Um, I don't know where NC State would go. Like if you think about this, you need eight teams to break the ACC's grant of rights. If you had eight, I'm pretty sure it would have happened already. But the thing is, you need eight landing spots, and I think you have like five teams. And by landing spot, I mean, you need to make the, whatever conference you're going to more money per team than the share you're pulling out. I think probably Miami, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina do it. I think they would take Virginia to get into that market, but that's five. I'm not convinced NC State does or Virginia Tech, and I don't think there's any argument for anybody else really except maybe Big Ten Network be, getting in Georgia if they wanted to take Georgia Tech, and that's a good academic school. But North Carolina being a flagship is definitely a major part there. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that this is what's going to happen. Again, and it, like we've talked about, too, I think it all depends 100% on whatever the hell Notre Dame does. But I, I, I could see NC State maybe getting an SEC spot. Like if North Carolina chose the Big Ten, right. then maybe to get into still like get into Raleigh, it's another big, large market in a state, like you said, with a booming population. Then the SEC could come after NC State just to get a foot in the door. The fan base, the the fan narrative for NC State and Virginia Tech, as the, the question uh, mentioned, those two schools, it is just like they are so passionate at Virginia Tech and NC State about football that that's why they think it would be a good fit for the mm -hmm. SEC and the football crazy fans. The idea that um, 
these stadiums, these fan bases that they would fit in and they would provide, as you mentioned, the SEC a chance to get into North Carolina and Virginia, like what, number 10 and 11 in the country in population, or maybe 11 and 12, something like that. They're maybe higher. I could be wrong. But like you all have said, neither of these super conferences or mega conferences has a hold in either one of these uh, coastal states with growing populations. The NC State Virginia Tech thing to me is much less about the value to your overall media rights or necessarily like the value to uh, what you're going to do for the payout. I think that people put those things together because it just seems like the passion of the football fans are just a good fit. North Carolina, according to former Chancellor Holden Thorpe, who is was just having a, you know, just a laid back conversation uh, on the radio here about two weeks ago with uh, Joe Ovius and Joe Giglio on 99.9 The Fan. He just kind of walked into, oh yeah, one of those last rounds of realignment, we could have gone to the SEC. And it has since also been reported that in previous rounds of realignment, Mike Slive, then SEC commissioner, said like, if, if this thing really blows up and if the ACC is going to you know fall apart, North Carolina is on our wish list. I think that in terms of the academics and in terms of some of the Olympic sports, basketball especially, there is a, a cultural fit with the Big Ten. And I think that's what makes North Carolina seem, you know, so interesting when a lot of people are looking uh, at the the different pieces of the ACC and where they could go is that it's a flagship institution of a state where there's some value and you could really fit in either in the Big Ten or the SEC. As the most famous North Carolina Tar Heel on the planet and also the most powerful, if the school was to leave the ACC, where would you prefer to land? Big Ten. I, I will say an answer question in the chat from Adrian Fleming. So the Big Ten wouldn't want Boston College in the Boston market. There are more people who live in Charlotte than there are who live in Boston. That's something I don't think most people are aware of. Boston's sneaky north. Yeah. You go to, I, I, like, I had to go to Boston to really feel that. It's way up there. It's yeah. way up there. <laughs> it's cold, too. Yeah. I, I just always had like linked it to New York. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. Another two hours north. Yeah, it's way up there. Um, all right. Yeah, Danny, Danny, what's your experience at North Carolina? How do you view the the university and sort of where it fits? Um, you know, it's interesting. You said Big Ten. It does feel the academic aspect of it, the elitism uh, aspect of it does feel a little and bit more. They're not more crazy like about football. They're casual about football. Like exactly. football is something that you want to be able to enjoy, experience, have a winning record, go to the bowl game in Charlotte. You know, like the growing up in Raleigh in the state of North Carolina, like it has given me a great appreciation for the eight and four football season, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just, that's just not the case everywhere. And so I do think that that would be that that's what has me at least leaning more towards the big 10 than the sec, because I, I just don't think that there's that when, when Butch Davis was hired, there was a creation of a segment of the North Carolina fan base that I will forever call the Butch Davis Carolina fans. And they're the ones that think too many resources are poured into basketball, that people care too much about basketball. Then if North Carolina were smart, we would just say, forget all that and throw everything at football. And the hire of Butch Davis inspired this group of fans. Then the scandal, then everything. <laughs> like, you really want that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they got it. It went poorly. And the university, which does you know hold itself in high esteem, was like, well, forget that. We're, if that's what it takes to, to, go, to win at the highest levels of football, then you can leave your Marvin Austins and let him go to Florida State. You know, we're, we're going to just decide that our eight and four season is, is just great. So, I, need, I need North Carolina to join the Big Ten just so that way I could constantly refer to Big Ten legends, Reggie Bush, Bill Walton, and Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Epic. <laughs> Epic list right there. Uh, All right. Coming up on the other side, we mentioned about where some of these schools might fit if we were to rearrange with the Big Ten and the SEC. uh, Where would they fit? But do the Big Ten and the SEC in this future want all of the schools that are in the Big Ten and the SEC? Is there a threat or a danger of contraction or schools getting booted out? We'll get into that and more next The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, 
Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> South Park the Streaming Wars on Paramount Plus. Uh, be sure to check it out and subscribe to Paramount Plus. Hey, look. Paramount Plus has seen a lot of great growth. We've seen a lot of uh, good numbers thanks to the passion of so many of you and so many Cover 3 listeners that have gone to sign up for Paramount Plus. We also have seen the passion of the Cover 3 listeners be able to get the Cover 3 podcast as a nominee for the best sports podcast category in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Now, we appreciate all that you guys do for us, and we hope that you enjoy the show enough to nominate us all the way to the final round. To nominate the Cover 3 podcast, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Then toggle down to the sports category, podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Go to the sports category. Look for the Cover 3 podcast. Nominate us all the way to the final round. The whole process takes less than 60 seconds. And we've included a link at the top of the episode description as well. All right. Um, this has been a, a popular conversation ever since uh, conference realignment exploded a couple weeks ago, and we're we're gaming out all the different ways that we could have this new breakaway world with the biggest conferences and the biggest programs. A couple questions uh, came in over the last two weeks about this, and so I'll introduce. I'll read the most simple one, and then we can build it out. Uh, this question says. Love the college football coverage. Will Rutgers and Maryland get kicked out of the Big Ten? Will Vanderbilt be asked to leave the SEC? And again, there's other questions that have highlighted individual schools and the Big Ten and the SEC, to which I bring the question to the table. Will the Big Ten or the SEC contract and or remove teams from its existing membership in this new college football 2.0 future? I have learned not to rule anything out, but I think that you've kind of reached a point where if you've kind of hit the peak of as far as value as you can get out before you start getting diminishing returns, maybe 10, 20 years from now, somebody says, eh, this there's like right now you look around and there's really not as many brands available who will add, you know, value to your package but maybe 20 years from now you're like i don't know this school could probably bring it a little more than this one that we've had since the beginning of the conference and maybe they make that move but i i just don't know legally what would even go into that like can you kick a school out of the conference has it ever been done like i know schools yes. have left conferences okay so what's didn't, it, when's it didn't temple get kicked out of the mac or you or uconn one of the two uh, you I think UConn, temple got kicked out of the mac but they were only there for like a couple years, though, right? Uh, yeah. I, so I, I, for, for performance reasons, is the real key to this question, though. Like, Big Twelve could have booted Baylor, you know, for yeah. like facilitating a huge rape scandal, but they didn't. Performance-wise, it's very tough, I think, and somebody needs to take losses. Like, they're cool with Vanderbilt hanging around. Sorry, Barton. Uh, you know, like Mississippi State. Like, somebody has to take these L's. What do you think is going to happen? I'll be surprised. No, I mean, nothing would surprise me or shock me. I would say, I think everything's on the table. I don't think it would happen. You know, I think that's a lot of history and tradition, but we're also seeing USC and UCLA in the big 10. Like I, I would, I would actually prefer that it does happen. Like if I was proposing a system, I think an idea of like a relegation would be fantastic. Um, 
I had a little bit of a conversation this morning with Rick Neuheisel, our colleague here at CBS. And if you look at the money the NFL is pulling in, it's like $10 billion a year. And that was from all the different networks that the college football is still a bargain for the networks that are paying. The, you know, it seems like, wow, the Big Ten's getting a billion dollars. It's still a pretty good bargain comparatively to what, you know, networks are having to pay for NFL rights fees. And if you could get everybody like with a commissioner at in charge who was looking out for the best interest of everybody, you could salvage a lot of the problems and a lot of the complaints that the fans have. But because you don't, I think it opens up the door to teams being kicked out of conferences and maybe just for lack of performance, as opposed to having a rele- relegation system that was a true system that was set up where, all right, everyone knows the deal. Everyone knows what's going to happen. If you are Rutgers and you have another one or two win season, you're going to be kicked out to the ma- uh, the MAC, and the MAC champion is going to be bounced up to the Big Ten. I don't think it happens, but I just think it's – I think college football I, – I don't know. I, and I'm, I think college football has done itself a disservice by not having any one person, entity, group look out for the whole. And so now we have this incredibly competitive environment where people are backstabbing each other and keeping moves away from each other as opposed to if it was done collectively, I think they could gain more financially as a group moving all together with a, a plan in place. Sewanee. The Sewanee Tigers were once a member of the Southeastern Conference. This was back uh, from 1932 to 1940. Now, the issue was, and this they were a founding member of the SEC, the Sewanee Tigers, University of the South, but they never won a conference football game in eight years of SEC membership, and they were shut out 26 times in 37 games and outscored by a combined total of, wait for it, 1,163 to 84. So it was actually Sewanee that decided to pull out. They were yes. not booted for yeah, there we go. They were not booted for performance reasons, uh, but the university made a decision when they had a change of leadership that they were going to be able to get out. I agree with you that kicking out a member school does not seem likely to me. I even go back to the idea that these are, you know, university presidents at the top of some of these boards, and they're all friends with each other. Yeah. And in the same yeah. way that coaches look out for coaches a lot of these high-level administrator academic types look out for each other because they're all going to be changing jobs and going to each other's schools. And if all of them team up against one, then that is going to create bad blood that is going to be bad for the entire ecosystem. However, I do foresee a future where schools like a Vanderbilt, um, maybe even schools like in the ACC, maybe even schools in the Pac-12 would look at the future of college football as it's being played and decide that they are going to choose not to be a part of it. That based on whatever can I make, the rules can I make are, a prediction of who the first school to do that will be? Sure. Cal. It, I was going to say Stanford. So yeah. Y'all are on the same line here. They, as we continue to you know theorize about what the future of college football is, if it includes, you know, heavy investment that in, that will uh, involve paying players, if it involves, you know, a limitless spending in terms of coaches and in terms of uh, the way that you are pumping money into these programs, we can already look at the athletic department budgets all across division one and see massive disparities, even at the power five level. If you just take the restrictor plate off, there are going to be some universities that might be making either the philosophical or business decision to not play keep up. So I don't see a kick like kicking out a team but if the rules and the setup of the future of college football uh, is such that it caters to an Alabama, uh, Georgia, Ohio State, and teams that want to try to keep up with them, then there could be Power Five schools that decide that they don't want to be a part of it. But I think the difference is like I don't I, I could see like I could see like a school like Cal or Stanford, a school that's left behind doing it. I don't think any school in the Big Ten or SEC is going to willingly leave the conference once that money starts rolling in. 
Right. Yeah. hundred million dollar check a year. We're going to go mm-hmm. ahead and pass on that because we don't believe in the philosophy. Like I don't buy that. I mean, the Pittsburgh pirates are still in major league baseball. So somebody can be the Pittsburgh pirates. So we'll take the money and we just won't pay anybody anyway. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could see, uh, I agree with you. I think on the big 10 sec stuff. Um, Cause like, look, I mean, not to pick on Vandy, but uh, they could like that money allows them to continue to be just extremely good at baseball if they choose. You know, or 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 some other sports. I know Vandy, you know, values baseball a, a whole lot. Um, in the ACC, though, I think they some of these schools have an interesting decision to make. Do they want to go ahead and drop down now? Like, there's no future for Boston College or Syracuse to to continue to try to compete at the very highest level. You can argue that they're not really trying to do that now, but like, would they want to go and form another division, like sort of like a, an Ivy League two with maybe them, Cuse. Stanford, like other other really good academic schools that have no real interest in playing and doing what it takes to play college football at the highest level? Or do they want to collect these huge checks for another 13 years and then decide to do it? If they decide that they're kind of out now, that's where you could have some, some change in the ACC because there's definitely schools at the top who want to get out. I know they're proposing right now unequal revenue sharing. I think you got a lot of schools pushing for that. Um, that's, I guess, a way, but I... I like who in the Big Ten cares about academics enough to not play at that high level? I guess Northwestern would be the only one, and I yet they just built the Taj Mahal facility by Tom's house. So mm-hmm. it's very nice. That's pretty close to you, right? Uh it's about twenty minutes north, yeah. Yeah, it's Northwest nice. Northwestern it's, it's right be, by Medill. Hey, actually, Northwestern was a place where like the players union started. Right. Mm-hmm. They've- and they quashed that pretty quick. Oh, that's true. But I was, I was just trying to think about it. Fostering an environment of player empowerment. You know, it, they at least didn't, they didn't bench everybody who had APU written on their little sleeves or whatever. But um, I, I, I could see Northwestern plowing ahead. I think that, like you mentioned, Danny, Vanderbilt, um, even for just a prestige play would want to be able to to stay in and try to compete at the highest level, even if, if the rules change just a little bit. So, um, very interesting question, but yeah, I don't see it, like I think Missouri's not going to get kicked out of the SEC. No, this is a, that's a great opportunity for SEC schools to be able to get into the St. Louis area and be able to go and recruit there and be able to go get a win when Missouri's down. But the alpha nerd is coming for you. Don't think that's a guaranteed W. All right, let's do one more question then before we get out of here. Long-time listener, first-time caller here, big fan of the pod. First question, what are the early prediction landing spots for Hudson Card? Uh, and then the second part is what I, what I really liked. Uh, and what are y'all's favorite secondaries in the country and favorite DBs since that position wasn't included in the draft? So, I mean, Hudson Card is s- still a Texas Longhorn, right? We just already <laughs> predicting that that's, that's cooked. That oh, Quinn man, is over. <laughs> Quinn Ewers is going to be the starter and uh, Arch Manning's coming in and Hudson Card's going to be out. I have no idea what the landing spot, spots are for Hudson Card, but I did think that he brought up a good point. We never got to defensive backs when we were talking about our uh, favorite position rooms in the country. Uh, wh- who are some of those favorite secondaries? Who are some of those favorite defensive backs we got? Well, I, I think Georgia is pretty clearly like a, a secondary you got to look at this year. I mean, you think about it, you know, last year, Georgia's secondary was sort of the, I use this term loosely, the weakness of, of an all-time great defense, right? Uh, when they did play a good passing attack, they got exposed the first time a little bit by Alabama, which no shame that group's got a whole lot of first rounders at almost every single position. But this year, like you, you get, you get Ringo back. Um, like I, I, I feel like that's a really, really nice, uh, that's a really nice room, man. And they've recruited the position so well. Um, I think they're fine at safety for the most part. I, I would say Georgia's one you definitely got to take a look at. Um, Eli Wicks joining the party with Jordan Battle gives Alabama some some studs right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, like shocker, we're talking about Georgia and Alabama right off the top. But if when we were if we were putting together our um, you know, big boards for a defensive back draft, I know that both Battle and Ricks would have been probably two of my top five if I had to put it together. 
Yeah, one of the harder parts of this is because the question's broken up. What are the top secondaries? Who are the top, you know, players? And it's like some. It's like trying to figure out. Okay, well, which secondary just has one really good player that kind of props them up, and which ones are just you know. So I, I think Georgia is up there. I think A and M is up there. I think Alabama is up there. I think. I think Penn State, even though they lose Jaquan Brisker, is probably still going to have a pretty good secondary. I think Iowa's secondary is still very good. I think if you look in the uh, – who am I uh, – what's the kid's name from South Carolina? Oh, Smith. Cam, Cam Smith. Yeah. Not the Aussie who's shot five under on Thursday five at the under. Open Championship, but <laughs> Cam Smith, the uh, the cornerback for South Carolina. Yeah, like I don't – I don't think South Carolina's defensive backfield was amazing last year, but I think Cam Smith is a very good player that kind of elevates it because he is somebody who sort of takes away a side of the field, which makes it easier for everybody else. I think Utah with Clark Phillips back there is a very good secondary. I I think there's a lot of, I mean, you have to have good secondaries these days, and I think we're seeing much better ones. I also think we're seeing better kind of schemes for, I think there there was a period of time there where defenses were behind and trying to catch up to what offenses were doing when, you know, we started seeing like things being spread out and going up tempo and it was more and more difficult. And I think, you know, Saban was kind of up front at the head of the line as far as figuring things out in ways to stop it. But I think we're seeing more and more defenses kind of catch up. And I think as a result, we're just seeing better secondary play overall. Let me add uh, Ole Miss's A.J. Finley. Uh, safety to the conversation. Very, very good player. Has been kind of an instant impact guy for them. Like, I don't, I'm not prepared to put Ole Miss's secondary on the five to 10 best secondaries in the entire country. But I will say that as an individual, uh, I wrote his name down as someone who stood out. But Tom, just a quick follow on that. What do you all see for, for somebody who might be listening? What do you all see as some of those adjustments that have helped defenses catch up? More, I think part of it, I mean, if you just there's schematically, there's a whole bunch of different things, pattern matching, all that kind of stuff you can get into. That's kind of minutia. But I think philosophically, like a lot of the times it used to be your nickel corner was just your third best corner. (laughs) And teams started to take advantage of that with matchups by putting one of their best guys on your third best guys. And I think you've seen an emphasis as far as slot corners becoming a lot better overall. It's not just an afterthought or this guy, he's not ready to play on the outside yet. So we'll move him to the inside. I think you just see a little bit more a little more emphasis on that, a little better understanding of how to play inside. And I think that that's kind of helped too. I also think that uh, more teams are sort of playing humble. They're, 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 they're they're playing off. They're trying to win in the red zone, the the greater emphasis on the understanding of the importance of explosive plays. Right. And they're willing to give up the small ones, kind of like in baseball, the the shift, you know, is, uh, you know, if you can hit it to the other side, go ahead. You're not gonna do a lot of damage against us hitting the opposite field singles. So, um, I, I think that's a major part of it. You, you see, they're they're finding out different ways to muddle the reads of these quarterbacks when they're doing RPOs. Like they're still effective, uh, and then the teams that are uh, um, teams that are able to do it, I feel like play more man than they used to, and maybe play like not the, not necessarily a, a bunch less pattern match, but I feel like they that's one way that they eliminate some explosive plays if they have the dudes. You know, one way that you could tell that defensive secondaries have improved. They're passing rules to try to stop them. You see, it's today, defensive holdings now an automatic first down. Mm. How about we have a ref that specifically does a passing. little man downfield? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one that's well, just such a great bastardization of the game. That would that would hurt offense. Can't have yeah. that. We got to make it easier to score. <laughs> so you, we need an extra official to just be three yards past the line of scrimmage, and if anybody moves past their line of sight toss the flag like in soccer the offside official on the sideline offensive linemen have chips in their jerseys like we'll have a little marker and if you go past it then uh, then 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 the red thing goes up no more passes do you give him a chance to get back (laughs) where that would be great if there was like a buzzer like (laughs) (laughs) yes you know what yeah if you can get back successfully before your quarterback throws a pass fine like it's almost never gonna you imagine the O-lineman backpedaling after they've been going that forward. That would be so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really Reversal of, yeah, don't worry, 6'5", 320-pound lineman. Just, <laughs> halt, just young man. <laughs> they you do when they jump off sides. They get yep. they jump across the neutral zone. They come back. 
Hey, that's what that, NFL that's what three cone shuttles for. Baby. Yeah, I that's think the NFL will out. make a lot more sense. The NFL, where it's just one yard instead of yep. three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would you prefer? Would everybody would prefer that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because it, it showcases your talent more as a, as your ability as opposed to like your ability to take advantage of the rules mm-hmm. or flaws just, in the rules. Yeah. It it makes it. I think it also yeah it evens things out. Just the best player is going to win, which I I'm like in that. In Madden, if they had one play that was really, really unstoppable or very cheesy, wouldn't they put out a patch before before you had like the big you know national Madden tournament? Because otherwise, like you're not really seeing the guy's skills. You're seeing like who is actually willing to, to run that that thing over and over. I guess I don't play Madden anymore, but um, I used to play in this online dynasty with this one guy who just ran the same play, and even though you knew it was coming, the the, the it was unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah, back in uh, NCAA football 05, you took out Notre Dame's uh, quarterback and replaced them with the second string cornerback. Mm-hmm. You just went out there and, and ran reads all day. Then you could light a defense up. It was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. That was, that was there, was, there was a year you could throw Randy Moss at DN and Madden and play him as like a super, super wide technique. And it was great because like no tackle could get out there. Um, oh, that's right. You called him a 13 tech. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've said this story before. Okay. All right. I, I, I just like well, one of my strongest takeaways here is that we are, um, we're carving out a strong, unique position of being anti, not anti RPO, but anti illegal man downfield. Correct. Right? Full, full squad, cover three podcast wants this back to one yard. Get this gimmicky putt-putt offense out of here. We're not hitting it through the clown's mouth. We're trying to play football. Let's let's get the lineman out from blocking, t- taking off a, a strong safety's head three and a half yards. We would back. have like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, all these defensive coaches would be the biggest fans mm-hmm. of the Cover 3 podcast mm-hmm. until they heard us crush Stetson Bennett, then Kirby Smart may not. But <laughs> other than that, all these defensive coaches would love us for saying it. I They've will all say, been pushing for this too. Yeah, I I will make the trade. They could keep three yards downfield, but if defensive holding is an automatic first down, holding on the offense is a loss of downs. Ooh, mm. not just ten yards. It's five yards of a loss Ouch. of down. Ouch. Let's even hurt. it up. I mean, if you're gonna, yeah. if I can't grab you, why can he grab me? What's the difference, bro? Third and long, disastrous. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody holds and you. It, I mean, can let's, you imagine getting chewed out by your position coach after you oh. just held on third and seven? Let's all take a note right now. First couple weeks of the season, we're betting nothing but overs because mm-hmm. the defensive holdings are going to lead to a lot more points and the market's going to take a minute to catch up. Over and it's going to be a point of emphasis. You got to mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. Yep. Over Army, mount up. Mm-hmm. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya.